Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. All right. Well, Ralph is on vacation, and so we shot videos of him because we thought you can't have a service at Christ Community Church without Ralph. I mean, you just can't. So if we can't have him in person, we're going to video him one way or the other. We're going to have Ralph as a part of the service. Yeah, um, folks, um, first of all, to all you Cleveland fans, congratulations. Right? Okay. The Cavs won the NBA championship, so Cleveland can now say it's no longer the mistake by the lake, right? It uh, now has a championship. I, um, I watched uh, the NBA, the, especially um, Game 7, because I was interested to see what LeBron was going to do. You know, there have been a lot of people over the last couple of years saying, eh, is, he, is he over the hill now? You know, he's not the 19-year-old right out of Akron anymore. He's in his 30s. Is he, is he really going to be able to do, you know, what he promised? Because he promised he would bring a championship to Cleveland. I watched Game 7, and I was amazed. I mean, I was, I was just frankly amazed. And you don't hear any more jokes about, like, Steph Curry being the NIV, the new international version, because he'll make everyone forget about King James, right? You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't hear those jokes anymore because LeBron stepped it up and showed that he is still the best basketball player on the planet. And I, I, got, I was really interested. I was watching Game 7, and, and I, so I was like going, I, I wonder exactly what LeBron does. Because there's a big difference between 20 and 30, right? And you can feel it. And it's like, so, so now he's around 30, and... and how does he stay in such amazing shape and continue to do what he does? I looked up his workout routine, and it's insane. I mean, it's absolutely insane. The guy works out six days a week. He only takes one day off to rest. And he works out in the gym two hours every morning, then goes to basketball practice in the afternoon, then plays a game at night. And his workout is amazing. Now, here's how, like I said, if you've ever listened to Grant Land or Bill Simmons, you know that he likes to say that the one person in the NBA nobody wants to take a charge from is LeBron James, because he's so big and he's so wide, he's just pure muscle. And so I looked up his workout routine in the gym, and I couldn't get dumbbells, but I brought this to show you. One of the things he does is he does a thing called supersets. Now, unless you're a gym rat, you probably don't know what that is. A superset is where you do two exercises back-to-back, -back, no break. So, for example, LeBron will do, like, this kind of stuff for his biceps, right? And then automatically, without any break, start doing something like this for his triceps. And he'll do this, and sometimes he'll even do what's called dagger sets, which means he'll do four exercises back-to-back, -back, no break. And even when he does take a break, he only takes about 30 to 45 seconds before he starts a new exercise routine. And that keeps the blood flowing, that keeps you, and you build more muscle that way. And he does that six days a week before he even gets to a basketball court. And that's why he is who he is. One of the big reasons LeBron is who he is. And what is incredible about that is if you are a gym rat, you know that if you do supersets and dagger sets like that, the next day or even the next hour, you're sore. You hurt. I remember the first time I did dagger sets 
on, on my arms, and my trainer made me do it. I wouldn't, wouldn't choose to do it. I just didn't want to look like a wimp. He said, do this. Okay. And so I did it. That's why you have a trainer, so you, you, you know, keep yourself motivated. You know what to do. It's just, that it's just more, you know, you're going to get it done. Somebody's looking there going, are you a wuss? Come on, get this going. And so you do it. And I remember I did it with my arms, and I got into my car, and I was like a T-Rex. I couldn't get my seatbelt. I couldn't move my arm. I had too much pride to go, can somebody help me, please? You know, and it hurts. You're sore. That means every time LeBron James steps on a basketball court, he's already in pain. And he goes out there and plays that way. Because LeBron James lives by the old adage, no pain, no Exactly. Exactly. Okay, what does that have to do with what we're talking about this morning? It actually has a lot to do with what we're talking about this morning because we're talking about praying for those people in pain and in, who's, who are sick. Now, we're going to go to James. We're going to go from LeBron James to the book of James. James chapter 5 is where we're going to uh, look at this morning. James 5, 13 through 16. What happens when someone gets sick in the church. When a loved one gets sick, you get sick, what are you to do? I know that when that happens, it's, you panic because you feel out of control, right? If something happens, you just, you just feel like, I, I can't control this. I, I, I don't know what to do. What can you do? Well, the Bible actually gives you some guidance on what to do. 5.13, let's take a look at it. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? And in fact, the Greek can be translated weak. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Typically that meant putting hands on them, back, shoulder, on the back of the head. And anoint them with oil, typically uh, olive oil, in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. And that always means in the will of the Lord, in the purpose of the Lord. So whatever God's purpose is. And the prayer offered in faith. Now, Television preachers have totally committed malpractice with this verse. They often will say that if you're sick, it's because of your lack of faith. Okay, look who is praying here. Prayer offered in faith. Who's praying? It's not the sick person. Who is it? It's the elders and the church. It's our prayers, not the person who's sick. I hear that on TV. I'm like, mm. A prayer offered in faith, that means in trusting Jesus, they will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. All right, so what the Bible says is that you're suffering from somebody. You, you've been like Charles Kemp. You're told you have cancer. You have something else going on. The Bible says you're to round up the elders. Now, here at Christ Community Church, those are the people who get up here and, and preach and so forth. That's Dad, that's Rick, that's me, that's Ralph. And so you get more than one of us, elders, a couple of us, and we'll pray for you. We'll go, we usually we go back in the chapel, and we'll just put a hand on your shoulder, and we'll put a little oil on and pray that you will be healed. But now, I know what a lot of you are thinking, because not everyone here is a, is a Christian. Why do all that? What's, what's the point? Okay, well, here's, here's what's going on. The reason you call the elders is an elder is supposed to be someone who is spiritually mature. And the Bible says the prayers of the righteous, in, that person in right relationship with God, has power. 
So you call the elders because they're spiritually mature and their prayers have power to pray for you. Now, the reason they put their hands on you is because it, throughout the Bible, it's symbolic of an act of participation. So when the elders, if, if I lay my hand on your neck or on your shoulder or something like that and I'm praying for you, what I'm saying is, I'm in this with you. I am going to be there for you. I am going to get through this with you. You're going to struggle, but we're going to struggle with you. It's a symbolic act of participation. And the oil, why pour oil? Because the oil was always symbolic of something being, they used oil to clean things, to make them clean. And also to dedicate them to God for his special attention or purpose. And so that's the point. That's the point. Now, again, if you're sitting there and you're not a Christian or, or you're just kind of struggling, saying, okay, yeah, okay, fine, that, that, that's great. Your, your prayers are by the elders are effective. Um, and symbolic, the symbolism, I get it. Participation, cling, cleaning, God's special attention. Okay, 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 okay. But why does God allow pain and suffering in the first place? Why even allow it? Well, there are a couple reasons for that. And I'm not going to dig real deep into this. If you really want to know, we can have a conversation. You can come up, talk to me after the service or whatever. But here's a couple things, just quick things. One, you have to understand that God has given us freedom. God has given us all free will. And the problem is, on our best day, we're stinkers, right? We're, we can be a selfish jerk. I tell people all the time, I'm a recovering selfish jerk. And, and so we do things that hurt other people out of selfishness, don't we? Okay. But you have to, in order to have freedom, you have to have that opportunity to do those things. So God loves us. So he wants us to have freedom, but a part of that is we hurt each other. That's one of the reasons why there is pain in our world. And sin is like an infection that infects all of God's creation. And so, and you've got to understand that. You say, well, because there's no, I understand what James 5 says, but there's actually no promise there that the person absolutely will be healed. Because it says to prayer, pray should be in faith and in the name of the Lord, which means according to his purpose or his will. So his will may be that you not be healed. You say, why? Well, we'll talk about that. And you need to understand that God does not answer every prayer the way the person wants. Because how many of you have ever seen the movie, the goofy movie, like about 10 years ago, Jim Carrey, Bruce Almighty? Have you seen that? Okay, you remember that? What happened when he answered every prayer in the affirmative? It was the apocalypse, right? It just, everything went bonkers. It went bananas, right? You can't, it, it, every, we like to think of ourselves as we leave these, live these isolated lives. We're just islands, and it's all about us. We're selfish because we spend 24-7 with ourselves, right? And, and the problem with that is we're not. We're all connected. Every action has a reaction. We are all connected. God cannot answer every prayer the way we want. And he has to manage this universe to get to the point where as many people who will freely accept his offer of salvation will do so until the return of Lord Jesus. 
And so he has a purpose. He has a mission. He sees everything from a 30,000-foot level. We're in the midst of it. We can't see what he sees. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, put it this way. He said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. Make sense? Make sense? Now, that being said, the reason, another reason why God allows pain is that pain can actually be a catalyst for growth. Dad and, and Rick and I, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were down in Dallas for a really small pastor's conference, small for a reason, because they wanted you to be able to interact, and a number of the speakers recommended a book, great book, called Leadership Pain by a guy named Samuel, uh, Samuel Chand, C-H-A-N-D. And he wrote this in his book, Leadership Pain. He said, number one, comfort is overrated. Comfort is overrated. And here's why. If you're comfortable, typically you want to stay comfortable, and if you stay comfortable, you're going to stay lazy. Right? Yep. My, the primary sins that I have struggled with have changed over the years. You know, when I was a teenager and in my 20s, I was chasing women everywhere. In my 30s, then after I became a Christian in my 30s, my sin was one of arrogance, really. Now that I'm in my 40s, the sin I struggle most, most with is I don't want to do anything. I want to be comfortable. I love you all, but I want you to leave me alone. I want to sit on my couch... I want to turn on the TV, hopefully watch an ESPN 30 for 30. I'm addicted to those things. And I want a pizza, and I want a Diet Coke, and I want everyone to leave me alone. And if God said, Matt, I want you, your mission in life is to sit on your couch, watch TV, and eat pizza, I would be the happiest person on the face of the planet. Because I want to be comfortable. I don't want to get involved in people's lives. I don't want to have to go to a hospital. I don't want to do funerals and weddings and, and all that kind of stuff. I just want to be left alone. But the problem is, as a Christian, we have a job to do, all of us. We have the good news of Jesus Christ to share. We have people around us that are hurting, and we're supposed to bear their burdens. But if we're comfortable, we're not doing it. You're not doing ministry if you're comfortable as a Christian. And all Christians are called to ministry. Because you get involved in people's lives. People's lives are messy. I mean, I love you all, but some of you have sat in my office and told me things, and I'm sitting there going, God, it's all right, I'll pray for it. I'm thinking, Holy Spirit, I mean, goodness sakes. (laughs) You get involved in people's lives, and people's lives are messy, and it's uncomfortable. But we are called to get involved in people's lives. Comfort is overrated. Discomfort can be a catalyst for growth. Because not always, but some, most of the time, if you're uncomfortable, that means you're doing something. And we're supposed to be doing something. Comfort can seduce us into doing nothing. God calls us to do something great. 
discomfort is often a sign that we're making progress. When people come to me and say, man, I'm just not growing. I'm not, I don't feel close to God. I'm like, do you pray? Not that much. Do you study scripture? No. Do you go and, and visit people and share the gospel with people and help people? Uh, no. Well, okay, I don't think we need Sherlock to figure this out. It's just like the people who show up to the gym and they work out for like 20 minutes and then they go hit a buffet somewhere and they're like, Matt, why don't I, why am I losing any weight? Why don't I gain any muscle? Oh, gee, I don't know. It takes work. It takes discipline. And it's the same thing in the Christian faith. If you want to be used, if you want to be closer to God, we got to get uncomfortable. We got to share each other's pain. Pain is often a way to kick us in the butt, get us off the couch, turn Netflix off, and go do something. Pain can be a catalyst for growth. And you need to be praying for people. I have a lot of people asking, how, how should I pray? Now, that may sound like a silly question to some of you. What do you mean, how do you pray? Because some of you have been praying since you were little kids. But that doesn't mean you got it right. I remember hearing a story about a little kid walked out of a class, church. Mother said, what'd you learn? We're learning the Lord's Prayer. Really? Yeah, we learned the first line today. What is it? Our Father who does art in heaven. <laughs> Howard is his name. <laughs> You can teach people to pray. It doesn't mean they're praying right. You can pray badly. You can pray for yourself badly. You can pray for others badly. Let me show you what I mean. Roll it. It's okay, guys. It's just a wreck. Ricky can handle it. Now, that's one of the nastiest wrecks you'll ever see. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. It's all right. You're safe. You're safe. Ah. We got you. Oh, sorry. I'm on fire. Okay. Oh, it's all right, you're not on fire. I knew it. You're lying. I'm burning. There is no fire. Come back here. But something looks wrong. I mean, he's running around like, like he's on fire. Oh my God! Help me! I don't want to die. Oh, stop jumping, roll. You're not on fire, Ricky Bobby. I'm on fire. You're not on fire. But I'm not even sure he even knows where he's at right now. This makes us all realize the kind of pressure these drivers are under. Mr. Bobby, come on down here. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Ah! Help me, Tom Cruise. But how did he get down to his underwear that fast? Tom Cruise using witchcraft on me to get the fire off me. Look, here, Hut's coming. Wait a it's, minute. It's Cal Norton. Oh, God. Please don't let the invisible fire burn my friend. He's jumping on Ricky trying to put the non-existent fire out. Now that's a teammate right there. This is going downhill fast. It I is. think it'd be a great time to go to commercial break. <laughs> ah, ah, help me, Oprah Winifred. I read an article this week that said that 75% of all Americans pray even if they're atheists. Who are they praying to? Right? They might as well be praying to Tom Cruise, right? It, it doesn't make any, or Oprah, or whatever. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Now, to pray accurately, you need to know some things. First of all, this. If you're praying for someone else, yourself or someone else, you need to understand what's really going on. 
A lot of times you are praying something for yourself even though it's contrary to God's will or it will harm you. And I had a mentor in seminary who used to tell me, Matt, reality is your friend. You have to have an accurate picture of what you're going through, what is facing you, why you're struggling with what you're struggling with. And you have to understand what the other person is going through. You're praying for someone else. And this is harder than it seems. When you're dealing with people in pain, unfortunately, most of my fellow Christians stink at it. I did a Bible study a week ago uh, with a group of people that were going to go to a funeral. 19-year-old girl who committed suicide, who worked at my gym. And they were going to this funeral, and I told them, I said, guys, you need to understand something. There's only a couple appropriate things to say, and there are a couple things you should never say. You go to a funeral, number one, the parents are in the most pain because there's nothing worse than losing a child. And when you go to those parents, never say, I know how you feel. You do not know how they feel. And number two, by saying, I know how you feel, what you're doing is you're trying to one-up them. You're trying to take the spotlight, put it on yourself. It's actually an act of selfishness. Never do that. Be all about them, not yourself. Never, ever say anything like, well, it was just her time or, you know, whatever. It was the Lord's will to... When I hear Christians say that, I want to walk up, punch them in the gut and go, I guess that was your time. The Lord predestined it. Don't be stupid. The only appropriate things to say are, I'm sorry. How can I help? Be all about them. And to be all about them, you have to really understand what they're going through, and that means you have to listen. And the simple fact is, all of us tend not to listen. We just wait to talk. Am I right? When Native American chiefs get together, they use this. It's called a talking stick. No one can speak unless they hold the talking stick. Now, the interesting thing about this is when the next person wants to speak, they are not allowed to have the talking stick until they summarize what the person just said to that person's satisfaction so the person knows he was heard and understood. It's called empathetic or active listening. It means asking people questions until you're absolutely sure and they're sure that you understand them. Stephen Covey wrote in his best-selling book, a book many of you probably read because it sold like 25, 30 million copies, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the habits is empathetic listening. He says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Listen. When people are in pain, they feel isolated. They feel alone. And they really need someone to really listen to them. And yet, they're going to vent. They're going to whine. They're going to complain. And you know what you do? You listen. And guess what? It's going to be uncomfortable. And you're going to want to talk, and you're just going to need to shut up, and that's going to be uncomfortable. I know some people, I swear I can see it in their face. It hurts them not to talk. You met those people? You just need to be quiet. And to show them, because I, I, I know you've been there. Somebody tells you they're going to pray for you, and you don't 
believe them. I'll pray for you. Yeah, sure you will. You need to pray for them, and you need to show them that you are praying for them. You need to do something to help them. For example, my wife came up with this. When somebody's going through, somebody's been diagnosed with cancer, they're going through chemo. You can put together a little gift bag just for a couple of bucks and bring it to them to show them you're thinking about them, they're not alone, and you are really praying for them. So if they're going through cancer, they need a couple of things. Like, you know, they may not like lemon and ginger tea, but it helps fight nausea. That's common in chemo, right? Chapstick, because their lips get dry. You can buy this stuff called Smart Mouth. helps you keep your mouth from going dry. That often happens. Mints, because you get that metallic taste in your mouth when you're going through chemo. Lotion, because if you're sitting in an air-conditioned place all day, you're gonna get, your skin's going to get dry, right? It's just going to happen. Get them some magazines. I know this is old school. You're thinking, oh, come on, everybody's got a smartphone. Get them magazines because, let's face it, most hospitals' Wi-Fi suck right? They do. And so this, this won't crash. This doesn't depend on how good the Wi-Fi signal is. So you can take something, just like five or ten bucks, you just put some of these items together and take it to them to show them, hey, you're not alone. I'm here. I'm going to go through this with you. I'm going to listen to you. And it's going to be uncomfortable. But that's how we grow. And when you pray for that person, you need to understand how to pray for them. You also need to understand this. If the person is not a Christian going through this, you need to pray that they come to faith in Jesus Christ. If they are a Christian, you need to pray they don't waste their pain. When you're going through that pain, I've been through it, that's an opportunity for you to witness to others. Suffering gives you that opportunity. Unfortunately, it's suffering that brings us closer to God because it focuses on that. We're not so worried about our comfort. We're worried about our very lives and, and meeting God. And so we, pain has that ability to focus us on what is really important. I know that when I went through mine, it, it, it scared me. I, I felt all alone, and, but I prayed a lot. And sometimes I wrestled with God a lot, and that's okay. I said, why, God, are you allowing me to go through this? I had a hole in my back. I got a staph infection. I had, I had, I had, it was just all jacked up in my back. I had to have a huge chunk taken out. And I'm allergic to pain medication. So that when I would go through a, a wound care for six months, once a week I would have to go and lay on a table and they had to cauterize my wounds. That means they had to burn an open wound chemically. And because I'm allergic to pain meds, the only thing I could do was just bite on a towel. And when I went through that, only two things were going through my mind. One was prayer, the other I can't repeat. Pain can focus you. And so in that sense, it's a gift. Because too often, we focus on things that are absolutely unimportant. That have no eternal value at all. But you need to know what that person is going through. You need to know who that person is, where they are spiritually, what they're feeling, in order to really pray for them. And when you do it, don't be intimidated, just pray. Prayer is just conversing with 
God. There is no given template in the Bible that says you must pray this way. And you don't have to use King James English to pray. God understands the modern English language. He did not stop learning English in the 17th century. You don't have to use thee, thou's, all that kind of stuff. You just talk to him. He sees everything. God sees everything. I'm sure he's disgusted, but he's seen every episode of Game of Thrones. Because he sees everything. You're not going to shock God. So just pray. Just talk to God. Edmund Clowney said, The Bible does not pre uh, present an art of prayer. It presents the God of prayer. The other way to pray better for yourself and for others in pain is you have to know the word of God. A lot of people's faith is shaken because they do not really understand the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible says you will suffer. It will happen. No matter what the preachers on TV say, there is no formula that will guarantee to heal you and bring you money and all other kind of stuff. That is not going to happen. The Bible is about Jesus Christ, not Harry Potter. There's not some magical incantation in there that's going to get you riches and health and all that kind of stuff. It says you will suffer. And it actually says that if you suffer on behalf of Jesus Christ, you're in God's favor. You're doing a good thing. Because why? Because, again, you get focused and you have an opportunity. Now, I was a little irritated, though, when I went through wound care. I was thinking, okay, all right, this guy has to spend a few minutes with me. I'm going to share the gospel with him. He was already a Christian. I was like, shoot, why couldn't I get a pagan doctor? <laughs> Something come out of this. You must know God's word in, un in order to understand God's will. You must know God's word in, un in order to understand God's will. And sometimes God's will is that his people suffer. Now, you say, well, that's not fair. That's not right. The Bible's also very clear. If we got what was fair and right, oh, boy. We don't want what's fair and right. We want what is merciful from God. And you need to keep this in mind. My friend Jay Warner Wallace puts it this way. He says, if you're looking at the fairness of it all, Let's say that you're, as a Christian, you get all of eternity because Jesus Christ suffered on your behalf. So you get an eternity of painless, joyful life. Now, when you put that in scope, is suffering during this life fair? Is that okay? Of course it is. Of course it is. And you have to think about this. All of our sufferings combined were nothing compared to what Jesus suffered on the cross. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, and it wasn't just the physical pain that he went through, though that was awful, to be whipped to the point where you could see his vital organs, to be nailed to a cross naked. By the way, the, 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 I know you've seen the pictures of him on the cross. He's got the loincloth. That's not what they did. They stripped people naked to humiliate them. Stripped him naked, beating, nailed him to a cross. But then when he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, for the only time in eternity, the person of Jesus 
was ripped away from the presence of his Father and the Holy Spirit. And he took the wrath of God upon himself for all of our sins. I don't know, I don't think Jesus descended into hell after he died, but I believe he absorbed hell when he died. And he did that for you. And you need to understand that that man who suffered on your behalf, that God-man who suffered on your behalf is there with you when you're suffering. Always. I felt alone, but I was never alone. I was never really alone. And when I started to pray more, I realized I wasn't alone. The more you pray, the more you realize how much God is there. Always, always there. Never forsaking you or abandoning you. And understand, watch your, even if you suffer unto death, if you're a Christian, the people around you are going to suffer because we're going to miss you. We've been robbed of your presence. But the person who died, if they're a Christian, they're better off. And you need to understand where they're going. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. We have such a jacked up view of heaven. I, for some reason, cartoons have dominated our vision of heaven. Heaven is not sitting on a cloud in a diaper with a halo playing a harp. If I die and the next thing I know, I'm sitting on a cloud in a diaper with a halo and a harp, I'm in hell, not heaven. That is not what heaven is. And heaven, by the way, is not our final destination as a Christian. The Bible is very clear that God one day will remake the earth. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we will have a physical body like Jesus' resurrected body. And almost anything that's not sinful will be there. We'll, we'll eat. In fact, the book of Isaiah says that when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom here on earth, he's gonna, the first thing he's going to do is throw a party. And he's going to serve, it says, the best meat. If you're a vegetarian, repent. <laughs> Dead animal is good. And if Jesus serves it, you should never say no. Doesn't mention nothing about no broccoli. He's going to throw a party. And then there'll be a new earth. And there'll be music, and there'll still be art, and there'll be stuff to do, and you're going to have this eternity on this new earth with this perfect body that never ages, never gets sick, never suffers, never is tempted to sin. If you read Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, he argues there'll be animals in heaven, in the new heavens, new earth. I think that's awesome. I want to have a best friend who's an orangutan. Don't think it's weird. It's not. I want an orangutan. I've wanted one ever since I watched Clint Eastwood in any which way you can. I want, I want Clyde. I want a Clyde. And he's going to wear a tuxedo. And he's going to walk around with me. And it's going to be awesome. I don't want an orangutan now. I had a buddy I practiced law with and he, at his frat at the University of Kentucky. They bought an orangutan. I said, that's awesome. He said, no, it wasn't. I said, why? All it did was scream and throw its poo at us all the time. But in the new heavens and new earth, it won't throw its poo at me. I will have a Clyde. That's where we're going, man. 
See, this life is not about being comfortable. It, we're on a mission. It's about doing a job. It's about fighting a war. God has called all of us, if we are Christians, to recognize the darkness that is around us and to kick that darkness till it bleeds daylight. That's what we are called to do. That's why we share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we invite people to church. That's why we take our money and, and do things like raise money for Uganda, ship all these medical supplies over there. That's why we do that. That's our job. We'll be comfortable later. Let's get uncomfortable now and get something done for the kingdom of God. See, I know you've heard us say this, but we really were a church of about 1,000 people. We want to be a church of about 2,000, and there's a reason for that. One, we want to see another 1,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We don't want people from other churches. We want people who don't have a church home. And we want to get them here. If you'll just invite them, bring them here. Take them to the first-time visitor's table. Have them fill out the little card. We'll give them a $25 gift certificate to Mexitali, bribing people for Jesus. And then we'll follow up with them. We'll go see them. We'll bring them a gift bag from the church. Try to see where they're at. If they're interested in becoming a Christian, we'll help them with that. Answer any questions they may have. And we want to get to a place where this campus here at Portsmouth, we have 2,000 people. And the reason for that is this. Church experts say that for your church to really impact the community for good, it needs to be roughly 10% of the population of that community. We're a town of about 20,000, so we need to be a church of 2,000 in order to really bring people to Jesus Christ, combat the drugs in this area, clean this area up, help people. That means we need to be a church of 2,000 in order to really have an impact. And that's what we want to do. Does that make sense? And you guys are doing a good job. We just got to keep working at it. Keep at it. To be a church that truly impacts Portsmouth and the surrounding areas for good. And to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, there are people that you know right now that are suffering. You need to pray for them, but in order to pray for them, you need to talk to them and understand what they're going through, and you need to help them. You're going to have to get uncomfortable to help people who are already uncomfortable. My mother is, I'm not going to say how old she is, she doesn't look anywhere near it anyway, but she's tired. She's tired because she spent two days this week next to a hospital bed because a friend of hers is suffering from cancer. And she had a bout of pneumonia, and she sat there with her for 48 hours in an uncomfortable chair. I say that not just to brag on my mama, because I'm saying that's what we all need to be, be willing to do. All of us. There are people out there suffering. There are people out there hurting. They need Jesus, and they need you. They need you in the name of Jesus. You need to go and help them and pray with them. I know it's awkward to pray with people. It can be. Just do it anyway. I know it's awkward to invite people to church, but just do it. Just do it. You want a lesson on how to do it? Follow Jay Vastine around. He invites everybody to church. He is a church-inviting machine, and we all should be. All I can say is no. No. 
cares? Pray. If you know someone that's sick, bring them to us. I'll pray. Dad will pray. Rick will pray. Ralph will pray. You know God's going to hear Ralph's prayer. We'll pray for them, and we'll anoint them with oil. And then you need to go and be with them and pray with them and minister to them. James 5.16 says, pray for all of you. All of you need to pray. And bring them something to help. Sacrifice a little bit. I know it will be uncomfortable for you now, but in the new heavens and the new earth, when comfort is all we'll have, and Jesus Christ throws this big party with good steaks, no kale, steak. And you look across that table and you see that person that you helped bring to Jesus Christ and you helped get them through a mess in their lives and you helped pray for them and you helped get through that time of discomfort and pain. And you'll be able to look in your king's face, in the face of King Jesus, and he'll be proud of you. And trust me, There'll come a day when that's all that matters. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there are people here who are hurting. There are people who can't be here because they're hurting. We pray for them, that they will be healed if it be your will. That they, if they're Christians, they use this time of suffering to grow closer to you and witness to others about you. I pray if they're not Christians that this will remind them that their time is short. We never know how much time we have and that they need to come to faith in you now. May your people here who have gathered here, all of them, not ignore someone in pain and suffering. When they see something pop up on Facebook that somebody is going to the cancer center, they're going, may they reach out to them, say, how can I help? What can I do? I'm praying for you. Let me, and may they prove that they're praying for them by, by going to them and doing something for them. Help us get uncomfortable, Lord. We don't deserve comfort. Comfort is a seduction. We need to be uncomfortable in order to be effective. May it become a habit for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, again, one... Be sure to be generous with the less fortunate as you go. Two, if you're a dude or, with a, or, or a lady with a strong back, we need your help. Go see Dad. We're going to load some stuff up to ship to Uganda to go help some people over there. God bless you. God goes with you.